Isaiah chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting song that will endure forever. Thanks, Murray. Just thought I'd see what it's like to walk down the other side for a change. Can I just thank the musicians? Wherever you are, I can't see you all, but uh, that, that last song, I, I, I'm guessing there's some of us here this morning that the words of that last song, it's just what we need to hear this morning. Yeah, life can be really, really tough sometimes to know that the Lord's strength is working in us and through us. It's just such a wonderful thing. I just want to thank the musicians and Sadia as you lead them. Um, because we, we really need it. And I think this chapter really speaks into anyone, all of us, but especially you know, if you're feeling like that this morning. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Pete Stacey, um, and it's just great to be looking at God's Word together. Have you, have you ever been to a really, really good banquet? A really good banquet. Oh, as Christmas approaches, we've kind of got that in our, our minds. Uh, a celebration where there's not only lots of food, but it's really, really good food. Uh, whatever you drink uh, and whatever your favourite drink is, is just there in abundance. I remember going to my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary uh, when I was about nine years old. 
Um, the food was on a self-serve buffet. Oh, remember those. How good was that? Um, so many different types of meat and uh, fish and salads and roast veggies and fancy bread and cheeses and you know, whatever you wanted. There it was. Um, things like big cooked prawns. I'd never had bef- you know, such big cooked prawns at that age. And I was at a table of kids and you could only imagine how big the pile of plates was at the end of that meal. So good. And uh, if anyone's doing the kids' cheek, you're going to get to draw your favourite food right off the bat. So have fun doing that. Um, this passage, it uses a feast as a metaphor for the wonderful gathering God has invited us to. And at last, can anyone have got a Bible open in front of it? Call out the last word of the chapter. It lasts forever. 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 It, that's an awesome promise, isn't it? Uh, To be honest, it it actually almost sounds too good to be true, Uh, but it's God who makes this offer. So let's ask him to help us understand it. Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, please give us ears to hear what you are saying to us here in your word and hearts that are willing to receive what you are offering. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the first things we notice Uh, at the start of this chapter, is the number of times God calls for a response. Uh, Four times in verse 1, we're invited to come so we can buy and eat. Can we have the first verse up there on the screen? There it is. Look, I've I've put it in red just so we can easily identify those words. Four times they're invited to come. And in verse 2, the repeated word, listen, it's, it's not like a frustrated parent or teacher to a distracted child. Rather, it's more like someone who doesn't want you to miss out. Listen, listen, this is so good. And then in verse 3, it's all there. Give ear, come, listen. The point is not only that action is required, but that it's urgent. It's urgent. That's the first vital message in this chapter. God wants us to not only hear and understand this message, but to respond as a matter of urgency. And there are many times in our lives when we hear this sort of message, especially when there's some kind of danger involved. Uh, I'm a volunteer lifesaver down at uh, Shell Harbour, and we have a shark alarm. And uh, if it goes off, We don't want people to ignore it or or put off their decision to respond until a little bit later. Or in a kind of way up their option, maybe I'll just swim out a bit further and catch one more wave. We want to, we're sending a clear message, we want people to respond instantly to start moving out uh, when that happens. Uh, The same is true here in this chapter. God wants us to spring into action. Now, throughout the book of Isaiah, we've seen the twin themes of judgment and hope. Both inspire a response, but in different ways. Judgment is a threat to avoid, like the shark in the water. And we've seen that many times in Isaiah. Hope, on the other hand, is something desirable to, to move towards. And in this chapter, it's, it's hope It's that beautiful, desirable thing that God uses to beckon us toward himself. Look again at verse 1 and see what's on God's buffet table. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk delicacies in those days without money and without cost. And the end of verse 2 adds, delight in the richest affair, refreshing waters for those who recognize they are thirsty, a free feast for those who recognize their poverty, their hunger. And why is there no cost? Because someone's already paid the bill for us. Remember last week? Remember last week? The the generous banquet that God offers here in this chapter 55 is the fruit of the suffering and death of God's servant in our place that we looked at in chapter 53 last week. We get to enjoy his banquet because he bore our sins. Verse 2 then kind of flips this metaphor of, of, of food, free food. Instead of spending no money and receiving real food, imagine spending real money and receiving no food. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Isaiah says it because this is exactly what God's people were doing. Spending money on false gods and working for unreliable alliances. And we do it too. Note the word satisfy. Let me ask you, what do we turn to for satisfaction in life? Perhaps financial security, favorite possessions, relationships. Personal achievements, perhaps uh, experiences and holidays, things like that. They're all good gifts from God to be enjoyed in our service of him. But when we take the gifts and ignore the giver, we make these things into personal gods and they always let us down. We never have enough money. Possessions get Old or we just get bored with them. Relationships change and come to an end. The high of achievement fades and we continually look for more. Nothing lasts. We expect these false gods to satisfy our hearts in a way that only God can. That's the point of the contrast at the end of verse 2. Listen, listen to me, this is God speaking, and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. That's true satisfaction. Well, it's a metaphor. Verse 3 begins then to explain what God offers with this, this kind of banquet, this buffet metaphor. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love Promised to David. Now, a covenant is a pledge or an agreement that defines how a relationship works, like marriage, for example. Now, the Israelites were blessed by God's covenant with David. He was a great king, but it's 300 years later. They've had a civil war and a run of terrible kings, and they're about to be taken into exile into this miserable situation 
Isaiah announces that all who listen and come to God will be somehow included in David's covenant. Not just sort of bystanders, bystanders of David's special favour with God like fans of someone famous. Not even close associates who benefit from David's special with God like, like family of someone famous. But on the podium, if you like, receiving God's special favour for themselves in a personal way. This must have been a staggering message for the people of Judah in their circumstances. And it's not just for Judah either. Verse 4 sounds like it's talking about King David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. That kind of fits. But the language of verse 5 is much grander than David. It includes other nations of the world and points forward to David's descendant who would reign forever. Look at verse 5. Surely you'll summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Now we have the privilege of looking back and recognizing Jesus. He's the descendant of David. He's the suffering servant. He's the son of God. And it's through Jesus that God's promise is open to people of every nation, including every one of us here today. Let's look at this promise in a bit more detail. In verse 7, we see that God's promise includes sins completely forgiven. He will freely pardon. And it's free because, once again from last week, the penalty has been fully paid. And then in verses 12 to 13, it's like Isaiah just can't find the, the, the biggest, grandest words or illustrations uh, fancy enough to express the joy and wonder uh, awaiting those who listen and come to God. You'll go out, enjoy and be led forth in peace. The mountains of the hill will burst into song before you and the trees of the field are going to clap their hands. That's a, a fantastic you know, illustration, isn't it? The whole creation is excited and ready to celebrate with God's saved people. Beautiful picture. And verse 13, instead of the thorn bush, will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. Thorns and briars. This depicts the undoing of the curse of Genesis 3. The painful consequences of sin in every area of life will be reversed and healed and transformed in the everlasting life that God offers to us through Jesus Christ. And that's why the glory goes to him. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. What a glorious picture. What do we see on God's buffet here? A new personal relationship with God himself. Sins forgiven. The damage of sin reversed and removed. And joy and peace that lasts forever. What an incredible, inexpressible, glorious hope we have in Christ. 
Now, we've got a, a clear picture of what God is offering to us, and there's a clear picture of how we are to respond as well. Verse 7 again. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like to think of myself as unrighteous, let alone wicked. I mean, we've all done some bad things, but surely we're not that bad, are we? Um, wicked people, they're, they're kind of like the really evil ones who you know, should be just locked up, right? But in the Bible, wicked and unrighteous describes the position of the heart towards God no matter how it shows up on the surface. That's why Jesus had to confront the hypocrites all the time. Because on the surface they seem so respectable. But on the inside, their hearts were so hard towards God. In fact, the Bible consistently affirms that since the fall, our human nature is always wicked and unrighteous. In other words, our hearts naturally resist and reject God. As we saw last week, like sheep, we just want to go our own way. It's a hard but humbling truth to face, isn't it? But that's our position until we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and he gives us a new heart and transforms our lives. Back to verse 7. Uh, this new relationship with God comes when the wicked forsake their ways and the un unrighteous their thoughts and turn to the Lord. See that there's actually two actions there. If my life is going in a sinful direction, imagine that uh, you know subwoofer base thing down there is, is sin. My life's going in this direction. Then I need to forsake sin. That means stop sinning. But there's a second part of it, part of it, and turn to the Lord. The two go together. The two must go together. Forsaking sin without turning to the Lord makes no sense. You might be a nicer person on the outside. But your sins remain unforgiven. You're separated from God and lost for eternity. Turning to the Lord without forsaking sin makes no sense either. Because turning from sin is, is evidence that we have in fact turned to the Lord. But friends, when the two go together, what happens? Look at all of verse 7. He will have mercy and he will freely pardon. God hits delete on the record of your sin. He welcomes you into his family now and forever. It's an incredible invitation. And that leads us to the last point. One of the reasons we find it hard to receive God's offer is because we find it hard to believe God's offer. It's just too good to be true. And verses 8 to 11 respond to this problem by providing two answers on the screen. God is not like us. And secondly, his word 
never fails. Look at it with me. The, the words tonight in verses 8 and 9 are ways and thoughts. We just saw them in verse 7. Here's verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the righteous their thoughts. Now, let's see what he does with them in verses 8 and 9. There's this vast contrast between us and God. For my thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've had the privilege of looking through a telescope at the heavens. All those stars and galaxies way, way up there. They're so far from earth. We are that different to God. He's the creator. We're his creatures. He knows everything. And apart from when you're about a 17-year-old boy, we know very little. <laughs> I feel like the older I get, the less I know. Anyone else feel like that? Like, seriously. Um, and God knows everything by his very nature. He just knows everything about everything. He's perfect. We're sinful and we, we go our own way. His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours in wisdom, in morality, in every possible way. He alone is God and we are not. The Apostle Paul picks one stunning example of this difference and I think it's very, very helpful in relation to this chapter. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you die to save your enemy? By our, our sinful nature, we, we cry for justice, if not revenge or vengeance. God cries mercy and love. It's a radically unhuman response, but, but this was God's way because of his love. While we were still sinners, not even interested in God, our backs turned to him, rejecting and rebelling against him. And instead of giving us what we deserve, like we looked at last week, Jesus took it for us, death and judgment and separation from God, so we could receive what he deserves, the heavenly banquet. Forever. God is astonishingly different to us. The second reason in these verses why we find it hard to receive God's offer is because we've all been let down. We've all been let down. Politicians and car salesmen get bad press as people who don't deliver on their promises. The reality is we all do it. We all say things and don't follow through. We cause hurt. And we are hurt ourselves by people not keeping their word. And so we get suspicious when something that sounds as good as this, a free, heavenly, everlasting buffet of joy and peace and delight, it just, it just sounds too good, doesn't it? Where's the catch? God responds in verses 10 and 11 in this way. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it barred and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, 
So my word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In short, God keeps his word. So the next question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Before we finish, look back at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Really, that's at the heart of the chapter. And this whole chapter is a clear call to respond. But note the sobering word, while. God's offer won't last forever. Over the last few months, I've had the lovely uh, opportunity of getting to know some of our older church members. One person told me how a long, long time ago they had the opportunity to come to Australia by ship. (laughs) Uh, A wonderful adventure, a new beginning. But every ship has a departure date. Friends, the Lord offers this heavenly banquet to all. And here's the departure date. Until they die or until Jesus returns. And that is when the ship sails. And we don't know that date. That's why urgent action is required. Why not say yes? Why not say yes to this incredible offer that God makes to us? In Isaiah's day, many people failed to RSVP. Throughout history, many people have heard this wonderful offer and have made the mistake. They've failed to respond. Please do not repeat their mistake. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to trust Jesus, the suffering servant who paid for our sins. Today is the day to receive God's pardon for sin. To leave here as a forgiven person in a right relationship with God. Today is the day to be certain of being with him forever in his heaven. It's a long time, isn't it? Eternity. The offer is inexpressibly good. But friends, do not delay. What a catastrophe it would be to miss out. If you need to talk to someone more about this, please see me. Talk to John, talk to Murray, talk to someone who you know loves and knows Jesus before you leave here today.